that brings me this morning to what I want to share from the Word and, and what I want to share as we conclude our, our series on authentic prayer. And I've got to tell you that I've really personally been enjoying this series, and I hope that you have as well. I hope that it's been encouraging you in your walk with Jesus. We've called this series Authentic Prayer because what we really want to do as a church in all aspects is move beyond religion, move beyond religious actions that are disconnected from what we believe in our hearts, move beyond actions that, that are simply us trying to earn God's grace or earn God's goodness or earn God's favor and actually begin to trust Him very deeply and begin to trust in the gospel and what the gospel declares about our standing with God. We wanted to move to a place where our hearts authentically trust. And sometimes this is a journey. You know, we want to make it a, an instant thing. Oh, my heart trusts in Jesus. And, and yes, you can trust in Jesus for salvation up front. But then over time, you learn what it means to trust Jesus in every area of your life. Over time, we become more and more submitted as we learn to trust in Jesus. It reminds me of my son. Um, my sons, I've, I have this thing where I have them, it's a problem now, but I have them jump off of stuff and let me catch them. And now that, you know, Eli weighs almost 30 kilograms, you know, I nearly put my back out every time he leaps from the other side of the kitchen. He doesn't even check anymore whether I'm looking. He just leaps. He, he figures he'll grab onto something on his way down. And, um, and so, and so, Eli has always just been the one that just jumps without thinking. Since he was a little baby, I would put him on top of a cupboard, and he would just jump off, and, and I'll catch him. Um, Jude, our youngest boy, is a, a little bit more apprehensive and, and struggles to trust a little bit you know, more. So in the beginning, I'd put him on like a low windows, windowsill, and he wouldn't jump unless he was still holding my fingers. Unless there was still kind of contact, he wouldn't jump. Um, but as he learned that whenever he jumps, I'll catch him, He's now kind of reached that same level where he'll be standing on the kitchen counter. They'll climb up onto the counter to get some fruit out of the fruit bowl. And, uh, and then at times, again, whether I'm looking or not, he'll just leap because he knows dad will do everything he can to catch me. And um, fortunately, up to this point, I've only dropped him once, but that wasn't his fault. It was a trip to the hospital, but uh, only once. But the point is, that there's been a journey of learning to trust. And with our walk with God, if you're new to the faith, and if you're new to who God is, up front we're like, can I submit everything to God? And sometimes you're like, you know what, I'll just submit my Sundays for now. I'll just go on Sunday and kind of hang around and, and sit in the back and stay anonymous and not get involved. And as we kind of get to know the heart of God, what happens is, is that we leap more freely. We take these kinds of jumps I was mentioning earlier in our review. We, we, we begin to take these leaps because we go, no matter what happens, I believe that God is faithful and will catch me. Even if I jump at the wrong time or make a mistake or, or whatever it may be, I trust in the heart of God. And so we've been wanting to move in our prayer lives uh, to grow in our authentic trust in God's love and in His presence and in His faithfulness. What we've established through the series is that authentic prayer, communicating with God and fellowshipping with God, only begins when you have authentic faith. When you are connected in your heart to what you're expressing to God. What do you really believe about God's heart towards you? We've used uh, as our foundational scripture for the series, Hebrews 11 verse 6, 
Uh, and I'll read it again to you this morning uh, in this message called The Secret Place. Hebrews 11 verse 6 says, But without faith it is impossible to walk with God and please Him. For whoever comes near to God must necessarily believe that God exists and that He rewards those who earnestly and diligently seek Him. In other words, we approach God believing that He exists, believing that He's real authentically in our hearts and also believing that He is a rewarder. We believe not only that God exists, but that He's good and that He rewards and that He is involved in our lives. I also want to read Mark 1 verse 35, um, which is a daunting scripture to some of us. Mark 1 35, it says, very early in the morning, while it was still, hot, still dark, I'm into the Christmas spirit here, I'm already hawking. Um, Jesus got up, left the house and went off to a solitary place where He prayed. Jesus had this prayer life, this prayer walk, where he would often withdraw from the crowd, withdraw from the noise, and go to solitary places, and there he would pray. I'm going to pray for us this morning, and then I'm going to share this message with you called The Secret Place. Uh, let's just pray together. Father, we thank you so much this morning that we get to sit and hear your voice this, uh, this morning, that we, get to, that we get to sit and be taught by your Holy Spirit, Father. We pray that beyond the frailty of our human words and our human thoughts and, and all the things that we can think up, Lord God, that, that your spirit would speak truth and revelation directly to our hearts this morning, God. We pray that the way that we will hear from you would be supernatural today and that you would lead us and inspire us into a greater walk with you and a greater trust in your goodness and in what you have done for us on the cross. God, we give you all the glory just for how faithful you are and how we can jump and know that you'll catch us no matter what. We give you all the glory for this this morning. We give you the glory for your faithfulness and for your love and for your presence. In Jesus' mighty name, everybody said, amen. So this world has a way of making a big noise. Uh, if you haven't noticed, living here in the city, uh, in Joburg, raising a family, building a career, uh, trying to make your way through life on a daily basis, um, it can be difficult to escape the demands of life. How many of you know that it, it, sometimes it's like, it's like there's so much pressure and so much demand put on every minute of our lives that sometimes it feels like we don't even get time for ourselves, never mind time for Jesus, right? Can we be honest this morning? Sometimes we're just running around, we've got meetings, we've got phone calls, we've got our, our phones are constantly buzzing or beeping or flashing or, or whatever, and they're so difficult to ignore. And, and, uh, and, and we go through um, all of these things that, that, that uh, fight for our attention in everyday life. And it can be difficult to escape. It can be difficult to find a moment to yourself. If you have kids, you don't even remember what a moment to yourself feels like anymore, right? For those of you that have kids, um, I mean, sometimes um, as a parent, and I don't know if there's any other parents uh, like me here today, but sometimes I go to the loo just so that I can be alone, right? Whether I need to go or not is not really the issue. I just, it's my fortress of solitude um, for, for a few minutes where I can be alone um, without my kids. Um, and and I'm, I'm, I'm normally hoping for about five minutes, and it's normally only about two before they like bust the door open and like, Dad, I want yogurt. And I'm like, I'm incapacitated right now. I cannot get you the yogurt that you need. Um, and so I'm like, and, and then before long, I'll have three kids watching me on the loo, right? Any parents out here today? 
If you're single, you have no idea, but you'll find out. You'll find out all about this. And so you're like, guys, can I just finish, please? Can we just? And they're like, no, we're cool, Dad. We're cool. We'll wait. <laughs> and so it's really difficult to find um, some time alone and some time to ourselves and to escape kind of the the pressures of life. And not just our kids, our technology that we have with us these days means that we don't really know when to switch off. It's almost like we don't know when to end a day anymore because we're just always on call and we're always reachable and we always have people contacting us at all kinds of hours uh, of the morning or night and, and, and we, we don't know when to stop answering emails or, or, or checking our phones and it becomes such a part of our daily lives that it's almost like we never switch off anymore. For me, the worst thing is when I sit in traffic and I've forgotten my phone at home. Because what do you do now these days in traffic without your phone? You know, when you can't check Twitter or, you know, go through some Instagram photos and, while sitting in traffic. These days, we're left to our own thoughts and we're like, this is weird. I've forgotten what this feels like to not have something to do for a moment. And so what happens as a result of all of that is that life becomes a blur to us. Like it's moving at such a fast pace that we don't really get time to think about our lives anymore. Very rarely do we get the time to sit down and to think about and to reflect upon the people we're becoming, the values that we have, the, the, the family that we're building, the time that we're spending on various things. And, and as a result of that blur and that rush and that race, our values and our priorities and our culture often gets dictated to us. Essentially, we begin measuring our lives by the world's standards. It's like we just get drawn into this culture that tells us you need to own this, you need to drive a car like this, your family should look this way, your Instagram feed should reflect these things, and this is what your life should be about. And before we know it, we're running day after day after day after things that we don't even know if we really believe in, and that is the definition of being inauthentic. When you're doing things that you don't even believe in in your own heart, it's inauthentic. That's why Jesus said religion is inauthentic. If it's not connected to what you're doing in your heart, to what you believe in your heart. And so we, we measure ourselves very quickly. It happens so quickly by the world's standards. We begin to assess what it means to be loved according to how the world portrays love to us what it means to be faithful, what it means to be valued, what it means to be successful, what it means to be right. There's certain things that if, if you had to go online now and post, I believe this, you'll be told that in the eyes of our world right now, that's wrong. Even though scripturally, it could be right. And so very quickly, we get sucked into a culture of our day and age, a thought pattern, a philosophy. And this is the thing, whether people believe it or not, Everyone has a theology. A theology, the word theology means thoughts about God. Everybody has thoughts about God, even if your thoughts are that there is no God. And while, how you live your life will come out of the foundation of your theology and your philosophy. We all do those things according to what we believe deep down inside. And so we often allow the world to dictate these things to us and we start living out things that we may not believe in. And, and this leads us into an inauthentic kind of walk. And this reminded me of um, you know, growing up, I watched every kind of sport. Okay? The first time I got a TV, 
Um, it was a tiny little black and white TV, and uh, I set it up at the foot of my bed so that on a Saturday, I could lie on my bed watching sport. Um, back then, it was still, um, I think it was called Total Sport. What was it, Total Sport, before Supersport existed? Um, and, uh, and I watched sport in black and white, and one of the things I used to watch was athletics, because it was always on on a Saturday on SABC something. I can't even remember which channel it was. And so I would lie. I remember watching kite surfing or, or windsurfing back then. Windsurfing was the big thing. And, and I would just watch anything that was on. And so one of the sports that I watched was pole vaulting. And in pole vaulting, there is a Russian woman who dominated the sport for years and years and years called Yelena Isimbayeva. Okay? And Elena Isinbayeva holds the world record for pole vaulting. And you're thinking, where is he going with all of this? Um, we went from Jesus and authenticity to Elena Isinbayeva. Um, but I'll get you there. Um, she had this, this, this thing. And she, was, she um, I think, jumped, uh, I don't want to lie, but it was close to six meters, which is the highest of, uh, it's the female uh, world record. Um, and uh, she was a phenomenal athlete. But she had this one peculiar habit that she would do whenever she was competing, is that wherever she was staying um, near the, the stadium where she was competing, wherever she was staying, she would bring either the duvet or a bed sheet with her to the stadium. And in between jumps, what she would do, and, and, and I've actually got a photo of this, um, that was at the Olympics in London, and she, I think that was the bedsheet from the athlete's camp, and she brought the, the, the whole duvet. She was just like, I'm bringing the duvet with me, and she had this, this really interesting ritual when in between jumps, she would actually put the duvet or the bedsheet completely over her, kind of put herself in this cocoon and hide herself away from the world. In that moment, she would retreat into the secret place that she had, and, in the, and, and with her earphones on, she was completely cut off from the noise, she was completely cut off from the TV cameras, she was completely cut off from the pressure of the competition, and all she could do in that moment is focus on what she came here to do. Just focus on what she came here to do. It's like she would reaffirm her identity, her belief in herself, and when she emerged from that blanket, when Elena Isimbieva came out from under the duvet, she was ready for business, and she would just smash world records. And I remember watching this and watching her go into that little cocoon and come out of her, and it just reminded me so much of what the scriptures tell us about our relationship with God and about our trust in Him. Because the Bible describes our trust in God as a hiding place, as the secret place, as a place of refuge, as a place of escape, as a place of, that we can get away to, where we can be cut off from the noise of this world and the culture that demands our time and demands our attention and, and demands our beliefs. It's a place beyond the noise. So it's not, that you're necess not, it's not like you're necessarily going into a place that doesn't have noise physically. It's not a physical location. It's something in your heart where your heart trusts God beyond all the voices that are shouting into your life, beyond, beyond all the accusations of the enemy, beyond everything that people have, have told you that you can or cannot do. There's a place where beyond whatever afflictions and whatever uh, 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 bombardment is, is in your life right now, there's a quiet place where you can trust in God. Where you go, regardless of what's going on, 
I can find rest in this moment. You could sit in the middle of a battlefield and find rest in that position. The psalmist tells us this in Psalm 46 verse 10. God speaking here prophetically says, Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. That's what God calls us to do as he calls us into that secret place. What he's saying is not just be quiet, but stop trying to figure things out in your own strength. Stop depending on your own thoughts that can be so loud when you face a crisis or when you face some difficulty, when you face some trouble, you're like, I've got to do this and I've got to get that in place and I've got to, you know, I've got to do all of these different things. And, and so often we can begin to fret about whether or not we're capable of doing the things that God has called us to do or being the dad that God has called us to be or the mom or the, or the husband or the wife or the employee or the employer or whatever it is that you tackle in life. We can become so overwhelmed by our imperfection that we can start obsessing about trying to figure out how to be better, trying to solve our problems in our own strength. And what God says to us is, hey, I need you to come into the secret place, the place of my rest, and I need you to be still. Stop fighting, stop kicking, and know that I am God. This speaks of trust, a very deep-seated trust in the faithfulness of God. And when Jesus was living here on earth, he found it essential to go into the secret place. Not just a solitary place, not just a quiet place, not just a garden or some beautiful place physically, which can help, but spiritually to meet with the Father. Jesus did this all of the time, Scripture tells us, that he would escape the crowd, withdraw from the crowd and go out into the mountains and pray. I love the fact that Jesus, he's like, people are following me wherever I go. And then he decides, so what I'll do is I'll climb a mountain. It's like all of those followers, they're like, oh, we're going to follow Jesus. And they get to the mountain. It's like, well, that looks tough. Oh, okay, okay, we'll leave him alone for a bit. It's like, if you're following Jesus around Cape Town, it'd be great. But once he starts climbing Table Mountain, you're like, okay, Jesus, we'll check you later. And Jesus starts going up into the mountains, and oftentimes he would spend all night in prayer, going back into the secret place. It tells us in that scripture in Mark 135 that he went off to a solitary place where he prayed on his own. And not just because he was under pressure, but because he found this essential to living a life that is led by the Holy Spirit. He had to go beyond the urgent there were so many urgent demands on Jesus' time, and he would intentionally withdraw beyond the urgent to go and reaffirm his identity, lest he gets drawn away by all the demands and, and, and the rush of life. He said, I have to take time out to go and remind myself of, of, of how faithful my God, my Father is, and what I'm here on this earth to do. I have to go and reaffirm my identity, my calling, and my purpose again and again and again to ensure that I won't be lured away. In the final week of Jesus' life, the Scriptures tell us that He traveled to the Garden of Gethsemane, which was on the Mount of the Olivet, the Mountain of Olives, with all these old olive trees standing there. The olive trees that are there today in Israel 
are over 2,000 years old, which means they're still the same trees that were there when Jesus was there. And he would go into this garden and pray. And he did this every single night in the final night of his life. And on the Tuesday night, the scripture tells us that he camped there. In other words, Jesus went there to pray, and he just spent the whole night camping out in this garden, close to the heart of God in the secret place. What's interesting to me is that the closer Jesus got to his calling, the more he had to go and be alone with God. The more he needed to reaffirm, this is what I'm here to do, God, no matter what pressures come against me, no matter what is trying to sway my opinion, no matter what is trying to push me out of line, I am going to come back again and again and again to who you are and who I am called to be. The closer he got to his calling, the more essential he found it to be alone and to pray. And then on the Thursday night, he takes some of his disciples with him and he tells them, just watch with me for one hour and pray. And he goes a little bit off and he prays by himself and he knows that the hour is at hand where he will be arrested and he will be crucified for the sins of the world. And, and so he's experiencing immense pressure and then he goes back to his disciples and he finds them sleeping from sorrow. They're passed out. They're just, we can't do this. We, we can't pray. We're just so overwhelmed. We, we, we don't want to lose Jesus. We don't want to go through this difficulty. And, and so Jesus says this to them. He says, pray lest you enter into temptation. Pray. Because he knew that the pressures of the weekend that was to come were so great that unless they had reaffirmed their belief and their faith in God and what God had called them to do, that they could be tempted to be distracted in that moment. And we know what happened with Peter. He fell asleep instead of praying, instead of reaffirming his identity. And when the pressure came on, just a few hours later after Jesus was arrested, they say, oh, aren't you with Jesus? He said, no, I'm, I don't know Jesus. I've never heard of Jesus. And in that moment when the pressure was on, he was tempted to deny Jesus and did three times. The idea here is that the more we can retreat into a place where we know in our hearts who God is, where we preach the gospel to ourselves, when we are reminded that we're not inadequate although we are in our own strength, but because of Jesus, we are the righteousness of God. You see, this is not a negative thing. This is a positive thing. This is about you reminding yourself who you are in Jesus. Because the temptations that I face every week is to believe that I'm not enough. That what Jesus did for me on the cross isn't enough. That I can't overcome my temptations, that I can't overcome my sinfulness, that I can't overcome my, my weaknesses and my imperfections. I have so many of them that the real temptation I face is not to go out and do some sinful thing, but to stop believing in the grace of God, to stop believing who I am in Christ. We've boxed that word temptation in a little bit, haven't we? We think temptation, we think, oh, getting drunk and dancing on a table. Hey, that may be a temptation, but let me tell you, it's far from the biggest one. The biggest temptation that you have in your life is the temptation to condemn yourself. The temptation to, to, to feel the shame and the guilt of your imperfection. Because the Bible tells us that in Christ, in Romans 8.1, there is now therefore no more condemnation for those of us that are in Christ Jesus. So Jesus is saying, 
I want you to go and remind yourself through prayer about who you are in God. So that when the pressure comes, you'll trust God as opposed to trying to save yourself like Peter did. Praying helps us to resist that temptation. It helps us to focus on what Jesus has done for us. And it helps us to keep our values on track so that they're not skewed, so that our faith isn't upended. And so what God does is lovingly, He calls us back again and again and again into the secret place. Come into the secret place. Come into this place of rest. Come into this place of trust. This is a place where our souls are renewed. This is a place where our faith is encouraged and inspired. And when we go back into the secret place, we actually go into the place of origin, the place where we were created. This has been one of the most powerful revelations in my own life, that when I meet with Jesus again, I go back to the moment, to the sphere, to the space within which I was put together. Do you know that there was a time before the earth was even formed where God put you together, where he knew your unformed substance, and the Bible says, wove you together in your mother's womb in the secret place. Look at this in Psalm 139, one of my favorite scriptures. It says, for you formed my inward parts, my spirit, my soul, every bit of my personality. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. This is what God wants you to know. This is what he'll whisper to you in your ear in the secret place, is that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul, David says, knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret. That word there is that same word that we find in Scripture over and over again. The hiding place, the refuge, the secret place. I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet... There was none of them. I love this scripture because there's so much that tells me about who I am in this world or who I'm supposed to be or, 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 or what, my, what my flaws are, what my imperfections are. What this scripture tells me is that there was a time before the noise began, before this world could dictate a single thing to me about who I am, where God intricately and masterfully Put me together. And in that moment, God ordained every one of my days. He put his spirit on my life in that moment. And he gave me a calling to fulfill, a purpose to live for in that moment. And so regardless what happens here on earth, how many times I might fail, how many things might go wrong, what kind of pressures I might face, I can always go back to that circle, that moment, that secret place with God and go, this is actually why I exist. I have had people many times in my life try and sabotage me, try and sabotage what God had called me to do, try and declare me as unqualified or disqualified. And every single time I went back to that moment, in the secret place with God. And I heard God say, this is what I created you to do. And every time I come out from under that blanket like Elena Isambieva, I've got courage again to run hard 
after the things that I'm called to do. Because the world is then cut off from dictating to me how I should be serving him or how I should be living my life. And I go back into a place where I go, God, this is what you created me for. God wove you together in that place. Your personality, your gifting, your spiritual giftings. God intricately wove you together because he has a purpose for you to fulfill. The sad thing is, is that many people, although no one can take away the gift and the call of God that is on your life, many people never discover what it is. And so Jesus says, I want you to step out from the world. You know that the word church means the called out ones, ecclesia, the called out ones. I want you to step away from this world. I'm calling you out of it. And I want you to know who I have created you to be. So that we can get to that place where like David, we can say, God, my soul knows it very well. My prayer is that all of us would know very well how intricately God put us together and the calling that he has for our lives. And so we get to dwell in this place. Not only do we get to go there every now and again in the morning or when we pray or, or when we step out, but we get to dwell in this place. In Psalm 91 verse 1, it says, He who dwells in the shelter, the secret place, the refuge of the Most High, will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. He who dwells in the shelter, who lives in the secret place, that you live your entire life from this place of identity and purpose. It's a place where we connect with God spiritually, where our hearts trust. And this, when we kind of begin to dwell in this place, what happens is that prayer becomes natural. Prayer becomes something we do all of the time because we dwell in the house of God. Not in, at Langham's on a Sunday, but the Spirit of God within us. Can you imagine how awkward it would be if you lived in another room with someone and never spoke to them? Like by the very default that they're there, you would begin talking to them, right? Because they're present. And the more we realize that God is present, the more we will just naturally begin to communicate with Him and authentically begin to pray. But there are times when we need to be intentional about this, to step out. Matthew 6, 6 says, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. Go back into that space. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. That same as Hebrews eleven six. there's a reward when there's something we receive from doing that. Now, this is not necessarily trying to tell you that you can only pray in your room when you shut the door. It's trying to tell you about a moment where you meet with God authentically. Because the verses before that says some people go out and the only time they pray is when they're in public and they want to seem very religious. It says, no, this is more authentic than that. This is not about being religious. This is about your personal, intimate walk with God. That's what God has for all of us. And in that moment, God reaffirms your identity. He strengthens our resolve. He helps us to understand our purpose. So Jesus goes back to the Mount of Olives again and again and again. He goes back to the Garden of Gethsemane. 
And in the midst of his greatest trial, on the night that he knows, the Spirit has confirmed that he will be betrayed. It's the beginning of the Passover feast in Israel. He goes up there again. And he did it so regularly that the one who betrayed him knew where to find him. He goes up into the garden in the point of his greatest pressure on this earth. Can you imagine, just for a moment, that Jesus himself, who was born to die for the sins of the whole world, gets to that moment and then asks God, is there an exit plan? Like, is there a plan B? I mean, is there any way that this cup, and in his words, can pass from me and that we can, you know, save the world some other way? Jesus was just so honest in his prayers. He's like, God, help me. So under pressure that he begins to sweat blood. And the Bible says he was tempted. Tempted to, in that moment, deny the purpose for which he existed, for which he was born. But he submits and he says, God, not my will, your will be done. And there's an amazing thing that happens. Because Jesus goes back there, even though he's under pressure, and he says, God, this is how I'm feeling, but I trust you. That's ultimately what Jesus was saying. I trust you in what you have for me and in your plans and in your sovereignty. And as he does this, he proclaims victory. Do you know that when you go into that secret place with God, no matter what you're facing, as you begin to pray, what you're actually doing is already proclaiming victory in that moment. The victory that will be yours in what lies ahead. Even though right now it might seem like your life is smashed to pieces, through all of that, God has this way of gloriously redeeming every situation and working all things together for good. I've lived it many, many times when I thought, okay, there's no coming back from something like this. And God just picks up the pieces and he produces something that brings glory to him. So Jesus goes into this garden. He prays in the garden. He sweats blood in the garden. He is betrayed in the garden. But the scriptures tell us that something else will happen in that garden when he returns. In Zechariah 14, verse 4 to 5, my last scripture this morning, it says, On that day, his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives. He's going to return to that garden one more time. And his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives that lies before Jerusalem on the east. And, and the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west by a very wide valley so that one half of the mountain shall move northward and the other half southward. When Jesus returns, he'll go back to that place where he sweat blood. He'll go back to that place that he was betrayed and his victory will be so great that he'll split that mountain in two when he comes again. And all of his enemies, it says in verse 5, shall flee to the valley of, the, of, of my mountains. For the valley of the mountains shall reach Azal. And you shall flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. Then the Lord my God will come and all the holy ones with him. It's not just Jesus' victory, it's our victory as well. And so he goes and prays in the garden in his time of turmoil. And that very place that he prays becomes the platform for his ultimate victory. You see, when we go to God in times when our identity is under attack, when the pressures of life are demanding so much of us, when we feel like we're gonna crack, we can go to God and we can pray. 
and that becomes the platform for our victory. That becomes the space in which God reaffirms what he has for us. Jesus experienced the frailty of, of, of his humanity there, but in that same place will express the fullness of his divinity. In our most broken moments, that's when God shows the fullness of his glory. I have come to experience the grace of God and the, and the goodness of God and, and, and the, the love of God and the presence of God in the most powerful ways when I was at my most lost and most broken and most hurting. It's like that mountain that splits in two. In that way, God splits our hardened hearts open. And he has this way of speaking to us through our difficulties and our challenges. Reaffirming our identity and his love for us. So whenever we experience our human weakness, we can go to God. Weakness and frailty and sinfulness is not a reason to run away from God. It's a reason to run to God. And we know that as we leave that secret place, when we go back into that moment with God and we leave there again, we are empowered by the Holy Spirit and filled with faith for the future. We're reminded of where we come from and where we're going to. And this gives us rest. This gives us strength. This gives us peace. And like Elena, we get up and we just start smashing records because we know that God is with us. So I wanted to encourage you this morning that when we go into prayer, can you see how, and I, I might have taken a bit of a long way to get to that, but can you see how something like that is so different from just kneeling and saying a religious prayer in front of some candles or by the side of your bed? You're actually going back to meet with God who created you and find out why and be reaffirmed in his love and his calling for your life. That's so much greater than going, before we eat, Father, thank you for the food. And this is the heart of prayer that God wants for us, that we would meet with him like Jesus did again and again and again, dwell in the secret place with him, know and be convinced in our hearts of the reason why we're alive. And so I want to encourage you, for those of you that uh, are going off on holiday, whether you're going to the coast or whether you're going to be staying here in Joburg, to remember that there's only one place that we can truly find peace and rest. And it's in the secret place. It's in that place where we meet with God and our souls are refreshed and renewed and revived to walk in what God has called us for. Isn't it incredible that in this world, there is a place of refuge for us. There is a place. There is a place of strength it's the secret place where God meets us again and again and again. Amen? Amen. Let's go ahead and pray together this morning.